0: Man, it got cold out there again. thought we were done with that. I don't know about you, but our, our, uh, our home heating bill and our church heating bill definitely have reflected the cold snap. Ouch! So my text today will eventually lead us to the idea that we should all collectively, as a church, move somewhere warm. Amen? You know, T.D. Jakes did that. He was up in the Northeast, up New York or someplace like He just moved the whole church to Texas, the whole thing. So it's, it wouldn't be the first time it's happened. I don't want to live in Florida. Ew. I don't want to live in Texas either. It's a problem. I mean, I want to go somewhere warm, but I don't want to live in any of the places that are warm. So I guess I'm stuck here for now. All right, we're continuing in our series in Mark, working our way through the gospel of Mark. And so uh, we're just going to pick up where we left off last week, Mark chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 14. I'm just going to read the text here, and then uh, we'll talk about a few things. So if you want to join me there, the words will be here on the screen, but if you want to join me in your, in your Bible or on your device, however you're doing it these days, I encourage you to bring uh, something with you to follow along with us. Uh, one, you might be using a a slightly different translation and you might get some insight uh, that uh, we don't get uh, from what you see. And on the other hand, you can keep us accountable that we're actually talking about what we say is in this thing. Uh, I think that's a good thing. Any uh, any honest minister, preacher, pastor uh, worth anything should never be afraid for you to to look at and look after what they're telling you about the word of God and uh, for you to ensure as a believer, that we're rightly dividing that word for you and that we're teaching it in a way that's consistent with what Scripture says. So I just encourage you to do that, whether it's on your phone or other device or bring a good old, you know, bound Bible with pages that you can write in and take notes and all that kind of stuff. I encourage that very, very much. Uh, for, for some of us, I'm not pointing anyone out, it might be the only time you look at your Bible all week. But it'd be a good place to start the practice is when you look at it right here in this place. All right? So, Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them follow me and I will make you fishers I will make you become fishers of men and immediately they left their nets and followed him and going on a little further he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were in their boat mending the nets and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and hired servants and followed him. So that's our text for this morning. So I want to start right at the beginning and, and just touch on something here that if you go and you look in a couple of the other Gospels, especially I think the Gospel of John, you'll find a detailed story about what happens to John the Baptist. Now, I remember Pastor Jason talked with us about John the Baptist last week. If you weren't here, you can get it on the podcast. And uh, it was a, a great message, by the way, about how often we have these... Uh, Face-to-face, powerful encounters with God, and then immediately following, the Spirit of God might compel us to go into the wilderness and into the desert and hang out for a while, really to contemplate and think about the experience we've just had with God. And we see it, uh, he, uh, Jason brought out several examples of where God moved that way, and, uh, and it's something to consider in our own lives that, that as we approach God and as we pursue God, trying to to have that face-to-face kind of encounter with him that he then um, is drawing us to not just have that experience and move on, but to be contemplative about it, to, to think about it, to consider the experience that we've had. And then sometimes that may drive us to a place where we're actually very uncomfortable and not particularly enjoying ourselves. And yet, in the wilderness... The presence of God is yet with us. And so if you go and read this story about John the Baptist now, who was there with Jesus, Spirit of God comes down, lights, uh, lights on the shoulder of Jesus in the shape of a dove, and John baptizes Jesus, and it's the, kind of the, the, the coronation of his earthly ministry beginning there. Uh, in fact, after the message, uh, somebody uh, texted me, because we, we spoke about this, a bit ago, he said, what happened to John the Baptist? Well, it, it's not a happy story. Um, very soon after he baptizes Jesus, and John has had this very successful ministry out in, in, the, in the wilderness baptizing people, and, and remember, there's so much that's important in these stories. I'm going to touch on this again in a moment here, but Remember that John was baptizing people who were believing the good news of God before they even knew that Jesus was the Messiah. That's an amazing thing. God was working already, and it's only, I guess maybe it's only amazing because we tend to look at it through the lens of what we understand, kind of having the 20-20 hindsight of seeing Jesus fulfill all of the prophecies about the Messiah... And they were believing before that had even become apparent to them. They just they trusted that God was going to be true to what he said and would bring a Messiah and that John was preaching and preparing the way for him and fulfilling prophecy in that way as well. Remember, John the Baptist's ministry was also a fulfillment of prophecy that there would be one who would come, who would prepare the way and make straight the paths for him who would come to bring the good news. So John has been out there for for quite some time and people have been believing and John has been baptizing and they have been waiting in anticipation of the Messiah to arrive. Jesus lands on the scene, John introduces him to everyone including those who had already believed and I'm sure they were excited because this is the one that they had waited for. And then almost immediately after that event happens, where John baptizes Jesus, he gets into a fight, not fisticuffs, but a moral fight, with the king, who has done some immoral things, and John points it out, and it lands John in prison, and John is in prison now, wondering what's going on, and in fact, in one of the accounts of it, as Jesus then begins his ministry and begins to perform miracles, John begins to hear in prison that this is happening, and he's very excited about that, but like you or I might be, he also experiences a little bit of concern, because he's in prison, and he sends a message out to Jesus and says, are you really the one? Can you imagine? Sure, you can, because we're like that, right? I say this all the time. Um, I'll, I'll see God move in a way that I've prayed for and others have prayed for, and I'll see him show up, and then we go, Man, that's amazing! And they go, And yet I've seen him do it like a hundred times, and yet it's still amazing to me. I think that's a good thing. I think it's good for us to still be in awe of the work that God does. But there's another side to that where, remember, John was preaching all about Jesus. The Messiah is coming. And then when Jesus shows up, he sees the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Wow, mind-blowing. And then he gets in prison. He goes, ooh, yikes. This didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to. Um, Jesus, are you really really the guy? Because this isn't going in the direction that I'd planned. And Jesus sends back a message that says, doesn't really answer the question not directly he sends back a message that says i'm i'm doing what i came here to do i'm fulfilling it and john understands that to be an answer that yeah i i am the one that you talked about don't have don't lose faith and so if we wrote the story probably john would spend some time in prison and then get out and go on and and be side by side with with Jesus. But that's not the story that God wrote. Um, King Herod's daughter decides that she really dislikes John the Baptist because of all this immoral stuff that's happening and that she's been pointed out. And and apparently she's a really good dancer. That's what the scripture says. She dances well. And Herod has her uh, dancing for his friends And uh, in payment for that, he tells her that she can have anything that she wants. If he'll dance for his friends, she can have anything she wants. She conspires with her mother that if uh, if that's the deal, that once she's finished dancing, she's going to ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And she does. And the king is torn because the king likes John the Baptist, kind of, but he made a promise. And so shortly after he heralds the entrance of the Messiah and all of his followers rejoice because the prophecy has been fulfilled, John the Baptist is in jail, in prison, and they come and they cut off his head and bring it to present to the king's daughter as her prize for dancing for his friends. So in this little line here that says, now after John was arrested, that's the rest of what happened. And it reminds us that sometimes sometimes there's a cost to following Jesus and, and so doing and saying what's right. Um, we live in a society today where you're probably not going to get your head cut off. But there are places like that in the world. I just listened to a podcast this last week of a man raised Muslim in a Muslim country, one of those places that we see on the news where the terrorists have taken control and they're trying to force people to recant their Christian faith. And this man, a father of seven children, a Christian, beheaded because he would not renounce his faith in Christ. And in this podcast, the interview was, was with the mother, the wife. And they said, how do you feel about that? And she said, I rejoice that he would not turn on our blessed Savior. Wow, man. We live such an easy faith, and yet we act like we're so offended and, and downtrodden in our faith in this country all the time. It, it doesn't make sense to me have the greatest opportunity to share the gospel with anybody that we would like to and yet we act sometimes like we're offended as those around the world really are. Uh, the, the oppression that's happening to the church in China right now is unprecedented since the days of Mao and those communist regimes that were warmongers. Uh, it's ratcheting up like that. I have a couple of friends who travel to China frequently and do uh, English teaching work, and then in the course of that, share the gospel, and it's becoming much, much more difficult for them to do that. And so I wonder sometimes, as we as we look at the rest of this text and see what Jesus has done and what He's called us to that we can then take from this text, if we really believe the importance of this faith that we claim, and if, if our comfort doesn't weaken our faith and our resolve about what Jesus has really and truly done for us and what he desires to do for our friends and neighbors around us. So let's keep going. Got just a couple of points here. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. This is his hometown, by the way proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, we often talk about sharing the gospel here. And in fact, in a a few weeks, I'm going to present some uh, material to you and uh, offer uh, some classes on a a tool that you can use to share the gospel that is going to kind of become Christ Community Churches. This This is the tool we use. I've shared with you the Roman road. We've talked about who's your one, which I hope you're still praying for your one and asking God to open opportunities to uh, share the gospel. But we also talked about how sometimes it's difficult to know what to share. How do we do that? This resource will help us with that. It's called the three circles. And uh, uh, we'll we'll get that material out to everyone. And then I'll, I'll offer some opportunities for you to come and sit down with me in a small group environment. And we'll go through and, and we'll learn how to use it. And it's it's, it's really nice, it's really simple, and it really can engage anyone in a spiritual conversation without being uh, threatening. It just allows the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work if that's the way God wants to move. But we tend to think of it in terms of talking about, as the Bible says, that, that uh, to become a Christian, we, we have to understand our need for, for forgiveness, that we have this broken issue in all of our lives and that it applies to all people who ever live that sin has separated us from God and that that needs to be repaired and that God desires to have a relationship with us and he's, he's made a way to do that through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and that the Bible calls us to believe in those things that Jesus is who he said he was, that his sacrifice and death on the cross did what he said it would do, which is to forgive us of our sins, and that his resurrection proves that that he is one worthy of us then to follow with all of our life as he is alive again. And that if we believe those things and we confess those things, ask God to forgive us and, and are willing to be obedient to God and follow Christ that we can be saved none of that has happened yet. And yet it says here that Jesus is proclaiming the gospel of God. So what exactly is it that he's proclaiming? And it's tied up in some of those things that I've already said about prophecy. What he's doing is he's telling the people, most of them who are Jews in this environment, because that's who the gospel went to first, was to the Jews, God's people because they had an understanding already of what the prophecies were about the Messiah. Those prophecies are found in the Old Testament in some of those books of the prophets that we talk about Isaiah and Daniel and Malachi and Obadiah and all and these different speakers in the Bible. So Jesus is saying to these folks, the prophecies that you've heard I am fulfilling. And so this isn't necessarily mind-blowing news to them because they understand what he's talking about. And he's telling them, as you follow me, as you go with me, as you walk with me, you will see that the rest of the prophecies that were about the Messiah, I will fulfill those. And so they could kind of track that as he went. And so that's the gospel that he's sharing. Is as we understand it, Old Testament, New Testament today, he's sharing with them everything that God has revealed, everything that God has said about the Messiah, I am going to fulfill and you're going to be able to see that. And so that was good news. The good news of God is that he was going to provide a Messiah. And Jesus was saying, I am that Messiah. So the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news. So right here, right now, in this moment, even before Jesus has, has, has demonstrated his public ministry, before he's been crucified, before he's been raised from the dead, people can believe in the good news of God and be saved if they repent. And then this is what happens. I'm not going to go into detail on these because we covered the calling of the disciples when we did the Who's Your One series at the end of uh, 2019. There are some specific things here that I I want to point out. I got like three points for you. So verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon. Now, who does Simon become later? Peter, right? So that's the same guy we're talking about here. Uh, There's an event that happens that we'll cover, I think, in this series where Jesus says you're going to be called by a different name because of, of how much you believe and what you understand. But right now he's Simon. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And the word I want you to focus on there is immediately. Immediately. That we all understand that in some different context. I, uh, I was thinking about some different some different stories from my life. I remember uh, those of us of a certain age will remember having the freedom when we were kids to, to get on our bikes and go about the neighborhood and just be gone, right? But there was generally a limit to how far you could go. And that limit was generally as far as your mother's voice could reach when it was time for you to come home. Am I, am I right? Can I get a witness? Amen. That might have been your dad. I don't, you know, it depends on your family circumstance or a grandma or an aunt or somebody. But somebody. And I can think about the house where I lived over on West 23rd. I grew up there my whole life until I graduated from high school. And uh, and I can picture exactly where it is. Uh, it still sits there. And I can picture the neighborhood around there would just change some because a Street came through there and wiped out a whole bunch of the neighbor's houses when it came through. But before that, I can, I can picture in my mind what that neighborhood looked like and where the streets are, uh, West 23rd and then C Street over here and uh, Fireweed up here. And I can picture exactly where the square of my kingdom was where I was allowed to roam. And if I got outside of that and somebody found out, I was going to be in trouble. In fact, that did happen. Let me rephrase this. <laughs> I got caught once. And that was because there was a building. In fact, the building is still there on Fireweed. It's directly across from what I think is Arctic Office Supply now. It used to be the, the, the arena. It used to be where we had concerts and things back in the day. And uh, what used to be Romano's, now Cava's, there's a, there's a long building there. I was not allowed to be on the other side of that building because Fireweed was a busy street. So I could be anywhere from that building back across to our house on West 23rd, which is just down the hill. And then I could go into the neighborhood on the south side of our street. But I couldn't go down the hill, down to where Chester Creek ran, runs through. All right, so those were those two boundaries, the north and south boundary. And I was up with a buddy on my little bicycle in the big parking lot in front of that big building on the wrong side of the building. And my oldest brother just happened to be driving home, and he saw me. And he didn't say anything. He just went home and told my mother. And a little while later, I look over, and here comes my, my little five-foot-tall, 90-pound mother. Stomping across the parking lot, man. And I knew it was bad. And I got a whooping. Because it was dangerous to be over there in that parking lot. It was on the other side of that building, and nobody could see. And, and you can't hear me when I call you. Because that was usually how it worked. We'd be up there in any of that area, and my mom would step out on that back porch Tracy! And you better be able to hear, right? It doesn't matter what you're doing, making all kinds of noise and rattling around with your friends. When she called, I needed to hear. And if she had to call me more than a few times, there was going to be trouble when I got home. That was my, that was the trade off for having the freedom, was that when she called me, what would I do? I would immediately go home. There are times in life where things happen that we understand internally and inherently that we are to respond immediately I think about another time with my mother she passed in November of 2000 and she had uh, lung cancer that had showed up uh, my mother smoked for I think 46 years. She smoked cigarettes, started when she was a teenager. Lived in Virginia. Uh, her and dad in the in the hills of Virginia. They were hillbillies. Um, my family tree is as straight and branchless as you can possibly think of. Uh, amen. And uh, and you know, tobacco was a way of life. Everybody smoked, man. And so she smoked those 46 years all the time that I was growing up. Um, I was the last of the, the kids to have uh, children, Karen and I. When we had our boys, we were the last of the, uh, the ones to have kids. We have, we have some cousins now. The boys have some cousins that are younger. But everybody else had already had at least one kid by the time Stephen showed up. But I'm the baby of the family. And so... My son was, he was prized. Can I just say that? Stephen was favored with his grandparents because I was the baby of the family. And so Stephen was born. My mom loved him. She had her own nickname for him. She called him Sugar Bear. Sugar Babe. What's up, Sugar Babe? That's almost what she always called him. And he loved her. And I remember sitting with her one day, not long after he was born, And he was starting to get to the age where, you know, he could go and hang out at her house and stuff. And she said, when can Stephen spend the night? And I said, Stephen can spend the night when you quit smoking. And she quit that day. Immediately. Unfortunately, the cancer was already there and we didn't know. But in the course of that that disease I will never forget sitting in our house first house that we owned uh, the house that Stephen went home to as a baby Um, Karen and I were sitting in the downstairs room it was just a big room and we'd set it up with a corner with all my computer and music stuff and she had some craft stuff and we were just sitting down there and uh, Stephen I think was asleep in his room upstairs and uh, we knew now that mom had cancer and there'd been some incidents she had had to go to the hospital, and we were treating it, and she was trying to do what she could. And the phone sitting on my desk rang. It was about 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. The phone rang. And, and you know, when the phone rings at midnight, it's never good, right? And that phone rang, and I picked it up, and I said, hello? And my dad was on the other end, and I, have, I don't know what he said, but it wasn't, it, I don't think it was even a word. He just made a sound a sound that I've never heard, and I knew that something was wrong. We didn't have a conversation. I picked up the phone. I said, hello. He made a sound, and I said, this is the first time it had happened in 30-plus in years. I said, Daddy, I'll be right there, and I just hung up the phone and went out the door. call him daddy all the time now. Ever since that moment, that day, I returned to some childhood thing. When I I heard whatever I heard in his voice, which I knew then to be grief, terrible grief, I returned it to a child. And then I realized after, especially now that I was a dad, I was like, you know, as, as long as my boys are alive, I hope they think of me as in that loving way. And so I jumped in the car and and raced to my dad's house. And uh, my mom had had what we thought was a stroke. She was lying on the floor and she couldn't verbalize. And I got down on the floor and and talked to her while the paramedics were working on her and getting her ready to go to the the hospital. And then in a little while, we found out the cancer had gone to her brain. She had a brain tumor, and that's what had caused her to have this incident. But like you said, you know, when I was a kid and mom called, when I heard, I, I immediately went. When challenged with expressing her love to Stephen, she immediately made a decision. When my dad called, there was power in whatever sound or word he said that immediately compelled me to go and to be with him. And I didn't even know what I was going to And we see here, in this story, this incredible thing happens. Now, first thing I want you to know is that we see Jesus, it says, proclaiming the gospel. Telling people to believe in the gospel. And I want us to be reminded that when we also proclaim the gospel... It is powerful. Somebody look up this verse. I meant to look it up. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to what? To set men free. Somebody look that up. Tell me where it is. Um, We'll share it with the folks here. I'm not ashamed of the power that is in the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is the power that will set people free. And we see it then demonstrated here in what happens. Jesus goes down to the shore side. These guys are working. Think about your work environment. Some of you are retired. Think about where you used to be, the responsibilities that you had. And you're there just slugging it out, man. You're just doing your thing, right? You got responsibilities and somebody comes along and says something to you that is so powerful that you are compelled to immediately leave everything behind, your livelihood. What do you think the wives at home thought of this plan? Romans chapter 1, verse 16. All right, Romans 1, 16. Come back to that. Thank you, Sable. And yet, that's what we see here. Jesus walks down to the shore and he sees Simon Peter and he sees Andrew and he says, Something. <laughs> he tells them, Something. Follow after me and I will make you fishers of men. Is that the only thing he said? I don't know. If we're being good, um, if we're doing good exegesis and, and being good, uh, Stewards of the word, as many people would think, we, we just say, this is a... Jesus walked by and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And he kept walking. They just went. Maybe. I don't know. Apparently, Jesus was compelling. Maybe they'd heard of him. Maybe they'd heard what happened with John. They'd already been thinking about him, wondering, oh, I wonder about that guy. And then he came by. But whatever it was, they threw down everything and immediately went with him. And then we see a little further, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the Thunder Brothers. It says they left their father standing with the nets and the boat and all the stuff and followed Jesus. They said, hey, you guys over there, you need some work? Get over here and help dad because we got something else we've got to go do like that. Folks, this is the same good news that we're calling people to when we share the gospel. Do we actually believe it has that kind of power, though? That, it, that if we shared the gospel under the direction of the Holy Spirit, that it still has the power to immediately compel people to follow him? We say, well, you know, nobody's going to leave their job today. There was a family in our church back at Faith Baptist Church that uh, they owned a string of liquor stores. They did, man, they were, they were deep in money, wealthy people, because they had these successful liquor stores. Well, The patriarch of the family got saved, and guess what he did? He sold every bit of it, opened a different company. Plumbing and heating. Walked away from the whole thing. It does happen. Because he was so compelled to be obedient to Jesus, and he felt like that was something he just couldn't do. It's the same gospel that we have. It's the same gospel we have believed. It's the same gospel that we can share. But do we believe that? What is it that keeps us from sharing that good news? I think it's a lot of things, but one of the things I think that keeps us from sharing the good news is that we're not fully internally convinced that it really does what it says it does even though we've experienced it. Or maybe it's because we just think other people, other people are going to look at us like, that's crazy. <laughs> this Jesus thing, that's dumb. That's stupid. That's nuts. It'll never work. And you know what? There are people who will say that. But there are still people around this world, in this country, in this city, who are open to receiving the move of God in their hearts to immediately respond to the good news of Jesus Christ and become followers just like these people did. And to do that, we have to be people who are willing to say, Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Can we be a people who are not ashamed of the gospel believe because of the evidence of our own lives that that it has the power to bring salvation to all who would believe and it's so powerful it can change the lives and perspectives and motives and actions of people immediately I believe that if you believe that You should feel empowered, emboldened to share it when God brings the opportunity in front of you. So I leave you with that to wrestle. Do you really believe it? Worship team, come and join me back here for closing song, and then I'll wrap us up here before we go.